We're in Romans chapter 13. Is this a little loud? Or is it just me? Okay. Romans 13 is going to stir up rebellion. You are going to hate me. The old don't shoot the messenger. Okay? Uh, I did a, a, a chapel series um, for Calvary Chapel School in uh, IAEA recently. And uh, for fun, I had the, the junior high and senior high break up. So one's on this side, girls and boys, one's on this side. And I want to ask them, okay, debate amongst yourself, which is worse, um, lying or hating? And they're confused. They're looking at each other and they go, well, they're both wrong. That's right. They both need forgiveness. Which is worse, gossiping or laziness? And to relate to youth, you know, like not doing your chores. And again, they go, well, gossiping probably hurts more people, but they're both wrong. They're both sin. How about stealing or cursing? And literally, I saw kids go like this. When I said cursing, like, oh, he's talking about me. And I'm thinking, you're Christians, right? So which is worse? And of course, by now they're going, well, they're both wrong. They're both sin. They both need forgiveness. So finally I said, hey, this is a trick question. Which is worse, rebellion or witchcraft? And they're going, why is that a trick question? They're both wrong. Well, because they're both one and the same in God's sight. God said to King Saul, that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So you think you're so cool as a rebel? God says, you're, you look like a witch to me. That was shocking to me because I grew up idolizing Johnny Yuma was a rebel. Anybody remember that TV show? I thought it was so cool. Okay, two people, three. <laughs> and how old are we? Anyway, the thing, Johnny Yuma was a rebel. I thought it was so cool to be a rebel. I want to be a rebel. And then when I realized... In God's sight, you're a witch. Okay, now those, those are both wrong, but they're one and the same. So here's, here's what stirs up rebellion in me and in you. I don't like to be told what to do. I don't like to be told what I can or cannot do, and so it stirs up rebellion. Now, in the context, this letter is written to a church in Rome. And so the context, just to, before you start excusing yourself, I don't have to obey this part of the law or of the letter. The Christians called this guy the Antichrist. That's how evil he was, how rotten he was. He persecuted Christians and literally fed them to the lions. What kind of sicko fills a stadium, sends out hungry lions, and then sends out Christians and everybody watches them get mauled to death. This guy was sick. He, he demanded to be worshipped as God. He claimed to be deity. He uh, used Christians as human torches. Now, stay with me here. He'd have Christians arrested, stripped, dipped in pitch, and set on fire. And then he'd place them throughout his garden at night. He would ride through the garden in his chariot, naked, laughing with demonic laughter. This guy was sick. He traditionally says, tradition says that he had the apostles Paul and Peter put to death. His name was Caesar Nero. He was in charge. 
So he's in charge of Rome, and Paul's writing this letter to Rome and saying, you guys see these atrocities every single day. You see how unfair, how unjust, how evil this man is, and uh, how, do you, how do you explain you got to pay taxes to him? You have to support his government. You can just say, oh, he's not my Caesar all you want, but uh, newsflash, he is. And so here he's writing to these people, uh, this portion of, of the letter of Romans, and, and that's why I call it, This Will Stir Rebellion. We're going to talk about politicians, policemen, and paying taxes. Now, I want to do something we haven't done in a while, and that's congregational uh, responsive reading. So if you re, uh, please stand with me. Um, sorry to make you just ruffled already, but... I'm going to read the, the odd verses in white, and then you read the even verses in yellow. Let's all read from the New King James on this one. So here's Romans 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Ouch. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Thank you. Verse 5. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Verse 7, render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs or import taxes, to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Father, we, uh, we're rebels by nature, and we don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to be subject to uh, places we don't agree with, but we ask that you would explain your word, and you would bless not only the reading of your word, but the carrying out, the applying of it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. And notice that three times we're told in these just seven verses, you know, uh, a rule of, um, of, of Bible study is when something's repeated, it's for emphasis. So three times we read, they are God's ministers for you. This is something God has in place and, and uh, you don't want to go against it. So there's three basic biblical institutions. The first one is the family, and this is where the family watches over the family members. The second one is the one we're talking about today. It's the government. The government is to watch over its citizens. The third biblical institute is the church, where the church watches over its members. So here's something that, that uh, guys, because I, I, from the beginning, you're going to have a lot of questions, all right? And, and I, Pastor Chuck Swindoll shared this, and I thought, man, this is a gem. So I, I quote from Pastor Chuck Swindoll, this is not a passage of what happens when a government goes wrong. 
but when Christians are the wrong kind of citizens. So there's many negative examples of government in the Bible. You could probably think of several right offhand. How about Samson? Samson was immoral. He was the, dare I say it, the President Clinton of his day, carrying on sexual immorality right while in office. This guy is notorious for chasing prostitutes, and yes, it was a downfall. Then there was uh, King Saul. A great story, or a sad story, is when King Saul had this guy named Doag, one of his soldiers, kill off the entire priest population at the priest city of Nob, N-O-B. Remember David went there running for his life and had, he got the showbread and he got Goliath's sword. Doag was there, he goes, hey, what's going on? And he tells King Saul. King Saul says, kill them all. That's called a corrupt government. Then you have King Manasseh, the longest reigning king in the New Testament, or in, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, 55 years of bloodshed. Cruel. And how, how would you like to be in Jerusalem when he's in, at the helm? Then you have King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, his wife. This just crazy what they do. Remember, uh, Elijah, the prophet, was running for his life from, from Jezebel. God was sovereign over all those situations. God was in, in control. Now, my problem is I see it there, and I go, yeah, 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 but that was then. What about now? Is he still in control? So Romans 13 is about two things. First, it's about the sovereignty of God. And then secondly, it's about our responsibility as man. So the sovereignty of God, watch this, in, in Psalm 29, verse 10, one of my favorite verses. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. This is during Noah's time. He's up in heaven, sitting at the throne in complete control. The Lord sits as king forever. So the picture is here on earth during the flood, it was total chaos, total confusion, mass people dying and stuff. But in heaven, God was in total control. He sat as king. Here's another one. In Proverbs 21, verse 1, it says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like rivers of water, God turns it wherever he wants. That's why we, we can see a king change his mind overnight when God's people are praying, because God can do that. Now, our responsibility is the part, what do we do with those in authority? Are we subject to them? And, and so it, it says we're, we're really to be model citizens. That's what this is all about, operating in wisdom. How about humility? You know, Christ-likeness. Now, that doesn't excuse us from praying for them because what, what's interesting about the responsibility of man is that famous verse in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name, so this is not for unsaved, this is for God's people. If they're called by my name, if they would just humble themselves and pray, if they would seek my face and, and, and turn from their wicked ways, I'm going to hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins. I'll heal their land. But God squarely puts it on us to pray for our government, to pray for righteousness. So our outline this morning is simple. We're going to talk about politicians. We're going to talk about policemen. And then our favorite subject, paying taxes. So politicians. It says here that they were appointed by God. And that's great when everything's groovy and you're getting money from the government. But what about when you're going through some crazy times and it's the government's fault? 
How do you think Joseph and Mary felt? A very pregnant Mary. When Caesar Augustus says, you know what, I want a worldwide census. I don't care how pregnant you are. You got to go 60, 90 miles away in your ninth month of pregnancy to be counted. Don't you think they question God's control of the situation as they're walking or riding a mule for all that time and just going, how could, how could God be in control of this? How could a God of love expect us to, to do this? But God was in control. He was actually using Caesar Augustus to get his people where he needed them to fulfill promises and prophecies that were hundreds of years old. How about when Pontius Pilate talked to Jesus in John chapter 19? Pontius, you know Pontius had an attitude. Pilate goes, hey, you know who you're talking to? Let me quote it for you. In verse 10 it says, are you not talking to me? Come on, do you know who I am? Uh, don't you know that I have power to crucify you? I have power to put you to death or to, to set you free. I have the power. And Jesus answered this, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus acknowledging God's in control. God placed you there, Pilate. God knows what he's doing. In this case, his father. What, any exceptions to this? Is it ever okay to have a godly rebellion? Is it ever okay to just go against what the government says? Well, there's a lot of uh, examples in Scripture. How about in Exodus chapter 1, where the Pharaoh told the, uh, the what were they called? The hand, not the handmaidens, the delivery girls, the mid, midwives. What were their names? One was named Pua. She's in the Bible. And the midwives said, we're not going to kill those kids. Because he said, more than drowning, he said, kill the male children as soon as they're born. You're there, just kill them. And they said, nope, we're not going to do that. Because they feared God more than they feared man. How about this case in Peter, when he was arrested for preaching the name of Jesus Christ? And the council goes, hey, you know what, you can't do this anymore. You can't talk about Jesus anymore. Do you think that'll come to America? Do you know why it'll come to America? It'll be considered hate speech. We'll get into this pretty soon in the weeks to come about, hi, I'm Mike, what's your pronouns? I don't know if you've heard about this. It's gonna be the hottest thing of the 2022. And if you're against it, it'll become hate speech. If you're against people changing their pronouns, don't call me a he or she, call me a they. Call me a them. Babies are now called they bees. That's just coming attractions. And if you're against it, it's going to be hate speech. So it, it's coming. And here Peter's answer goes, I don't know. You're, you decide for yourself, but we got to obey God and not man. We will preach the name of Jesus Christ. So then there was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember them? In, in Daniel chapter 3. Was it chapter 3? It's in there. It is written. Where the king goes, uh, I want you to worship me. I want you to pray to me, that kind of thing. And they said, no, we're not going to bow to you. We only worship God. We're not going to worship you. And so he brings them before him and says, uh, do you know who I am? You're supposed to bow. You're supposed to worship me. He goes, no, we're not, we're not going to worship you. 
Okay, heat up the fire seven times more. They got thrown in the fire because they wouldn't bow. They went against what the government said because the government was going against what God said. So what about, ooh, what about when politicians are, are got into office by voter fraud? Pennsylvania. I don't know what all went on or what didn't. But to say, well, he's not my president, oh, newsflash, he is. You know what I think happens when, when someone gets in by voter fraud? I think God is disciplining his people. I think we're reaping what we've blown, reaping what we've sown. But I can tell you this, God is in total control. He knows exactly what he's doing. All right, so now we go to the policemen. What about policemen? So what about if there was no policemen, how confusing would it be to drive through Honolulu where nobody obeys traffic lights, nobody obeys stop signs? How, they're here for us to enforce the law. That's what this is all about. What about those who are called to stop fights? See, years ago, I was trained to work on surfboards by a guy named Dave Ronk. He owned a surf shop, was right behind Chen's store over here. And he showed me how to work on surfboards, and then eventually he, he got out of the business and became a cop. While a cop, he, he uh, responded to a domestic argument, argument. He found the husband who was threatening the wife. He found him hidden in a box in the closet. It was a smaller guy. The guy jumped out, grabbed Dave's gun, and shot Dave and killed him. But that guy was arrested and taken away, and that wife was extremely happy to call the police to, who spared her life. Now, she's obviously said Dave lost his life. But when, you, when there's fights and stuff going on, who do you call? Well, the, the, the police. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, then there's some people, Christians, non-Christians, who give cops a bad rap. Have you ever done this? You ever get a ticket and go, oh, man, is that, don't you have something better to do? Shouldn't you be doing something better? Listen, I've been driving since I was 16. That's like 190 years. That's a long time. I've gotten one speeding ticket. You ever do that? Man, does it stir up rebellion. And it was back, I was coming home from a prayer meeting in Milani, one of our Ohana groups. I mean, <laughs> who's behind this? But it used to be coming down the hill, and I was driving my wife's new car, so I wasn't used to it. But it went from 45 to 35 to 25 in like 10 feet. Remember those days? And so there's a cop waiting for me behind the bushes. I'm not kidding. And he comes out and everything in me. Don't you have something better to do? Would you make it your quota? Do you know they changed the speed limit now? See, I was just ahead of my time. That's all. It's just. But the thing is, it just stirs this thing in you where, oh, yeah, well, you got busted. I told people, I said this in a sermon once, Christians shouldn't have those radar detectors in their car because you should always be going the speed limit. This is before I got the speed ticket. One guy was furious with me. He didn't come up to me. He came up to one of the pastors and goes, man, he shouldn't be talking about radar detectors. Why don't you just go the speed limit and you won't be worried about it? That's all he's saying. Now, how about this? Sometimes a cop is there to save your life. 
growing up, I don't know if you had this, we had a family that was very close to us. They lived right around the corner from us. They had a mom and dad and six kids. We had a mom and dad and four kids, and we'd go on vacations together. So we're going from Bowie, Maryland to the, to the you know, East Coast, to the beach. It's late at night, we're driving along. And Mr. Daly was in the front car and he gets pulled over for speeding. And the cop said this, we just covered a really bad car accident where several people died. You need to slow down. He didn't give him a ticket. And Mr. Daly goes, thanks officer. I'll drive more carefully. Cops are there for you. Are there bad ones? Yeah. So occasionally, occasional Barney Fife. Remember him from Mulberry? Just on a, on a weird trip. But most of them are pretty good guys. So for the policeman, it says he doesn't bear that sword in vain. This is a reference to capital punishment. They would use that to, to kill people. He said, listen, it was a deterrent. It says, you don't want to do this because you might experience that. He doesn't have that sword in vain. Or in today, he doesn't have that gun in vain. I used to be, I used to work for a police, uh, as a police cadet. It's a weird part of my testimony because I went from being working for the cops to a year later I was behind bars. But it was in Daytona, well, I was Holly Hills, just north of Daytona. I worked for their police department. I was a radio dispatcher. Got a 1090, you know, all that kind of stuff. So one night they're going to give me a ride home to my house back in Daytona. And on the way, so I'm in the back seat, and on the way they get a call for this, uh, some garage was being stolen or things in the garage were being stolen. And we just fly there. That's, I'm excited, man. Lights are going on, sirens are going on. And the guy just tells me, stay here. And I tell you what, when those guns came out and they're running around this garage trying to get this guy, all I could think of is, those aren't toys. Somebody could get seriously hurt right now. That's what he's saying. You know the sword on that? It's not a toy. You can really cross the line and get in trouble. And so he was like, that's why later on he says, give fear to whom fear. Now he says, if you want to have praise from the same, be a law-abiding citizen. That's what he's saying. Now, thirdly, it's paying taxes. <laughs> Is this your favorite subject? It's only your favorite subject if you're getting a tax refund, right? So for paying taxes, he says, do it for conscience sake. You go, well, what does that mean? Did you know this? Did you know that the IRS has a conscience fund? I read that in the commentary this week, and I go, I don't believe that. I'm kind of skeptical. So I looked it up on Google, which you can trust with everything. And Google says it has the IRS, Internal Revenue Service, has a conscience fund. And they get buku dollars every year. And then they have letters that go with it. Here's a letter. Supposedly, I just became a Christian. He sends in a check. He says, I just became a Christian. Here's $175 I owe in back taxes. So that'll go in the conscience fund. Often they're, they're uh, anonymous. Then he goes, well, if I still can't sleep, I'll send in the rest I owe. <laughs> so 
But he says, it's for conscience sake. It's for conscience sake. So when I worked on surfboards, I did this for years. It's piecework. I'm a subcontractor. Some places that took out the taxes, but usually I would just write and say, okay, I just did however many boards and got this much money and I owe this much in taxes. And, and the guys watched me do this one day. And, and he goes, why are you claiming all that? Because his reasoning is nobody knows. The government doesn't know. They don't care whether you did four boards today or 10. So why are you claiming 10 when you could just do four and kind of fudge? I say, oh, it's for my conscience. You know, a good conscience has a good pillow. I sleep good at night when I know I'm not running from anything. Now, for those who don't pay taxes because don't we feel we're so justified in, in what's going on. So uh, someone says, I don't pay taxes because tax dollars go towards abortion. Hey, you got me there. I think it's disgusting. We just had our the 50th anniversary of abortion in America or legalized abortion, and millions and millions of babies are gone because of this. Not only that, we're paying for abortions in other countries. I think it's disgusting. But my Bible says pay taxes. How about this one? I don't pay taxes because of what's going on in the Texan and Mexican border. Man, you got me. One newscaster the other night said as many as two million people have illegally crossed into America not just Mexicans, talking terrorists, sex offenders, sex traffic, drug traffic, fentanyl, which is manufactured in China, shipped into Mexico, processed in Mexico, crossed over the border, and sold to our kids, are dying tons of amounts. If you have fentanyl the, the size of two grains of salt, it's enough to kill you. Pastor Mike McIntosh of the Calvary Chapel in San Diego, his 18-year-old grandson overdosed on this. This stuff is crazy. Just coming across the border, no problem. And so you go, I, I don't like what's going on down there. This isn't America anymore. I'm not going to pay my taxes. Uh, it says to pay your taxes. How about this one? I, I don't like the educational system. I don't like it either. They're basically poisoning the brains of our kids. I don't know if you read about the people that, um, was I think it was kindergarten, first grade, whatever, telling the kids without the parents' permission about the use of pronouns. This is the hot topic this year. And that, I don't know, maybe you're, uh, you're a girl, but maybe you're really a boy. So one mom said her kid came home crying as a girl. She goes, am I going to turn into a boy? I don't like what's going on in our educational system. I don't like how they're, they're taking away our history and what really happened. And I, I don't like, so I okay, I'm not going to pay my taxes. Well, it's just to pay your taxes. I don't like paying for sex changes in the military. No wonder our enemies laugh at us. You guys are stupid. You have it all mixed up. You're more concerned about, you know, sex change than you are about securing your border. And you go, okay, I'm not going to pay my taxes. That's called rebellion. Here's another one. <laughs> they cut off our gas supply. Just over a year ago, our gas was under $2 a gallon. 
Now it's pushing $5 a gallon in a year. One year. We used to be dependent or self-dependent on oil ourselves. Now we're dependent again on foreign oil. And you go, I don't like what they're doing. This is not my government. It's your government. So, oh, I had to put this one in. The vaccine mandate. Do you live with someone who yells at your TV? <laughs> I talked to another husband yesterday. He came over. He goes, yeah. I told my wife, you can't watch TV. <laughs> she just screams at the TV. Well, when the TV screams back, you're going to really have troubles. But, you know, wherever you stand on it, and we even stand on the, the Canadian border, the truckers going back and forth. You know how now they're demanding that all the truckers have the vaccine or you can't come into Canada. And so now there's a big protest, which I agree with. I agree with the protest. You don't have to inject that into your body. You know, you have a, this is an overreach of government, and so there's a natural protest. Wherever you stand on that, you've heard me before. I'm not here to convince you to think like me. I'm here to talk about Jesus, the solution. But there's this vaccine mandate, and people are going, I'm not going to support this government. I'm not going to pay my taxes. So what I hear when all this is going on, I don't like how Caesar Nero is, paying, is spending our tax dollars. That's what I hear. And what Paul is saying is, uh, pay your taxes. Again, he's rehearsing. You know God's in control, right? He's rehearsing that. God is in control. And you're to be a model citizen, and, and you're to, uh, to avoid two extremes. Number one, avoid an anti-government stance. It's crazy how many camps, militant camps we have in America who are operating within the law, but they're anti-government. They're anti-American. They say, no, no, don't go there. Don't go there. Another one is indifferent to government. When you go, oh, well, they, they quote this, Romans 13, in the wrong way, saying, well, it's all determined already, so it doesn't matter how I vote. Are you kidding? Yeah, I, I want you to picture yourself in, in North Korea right now. North Korea. They don't have the right to vote. And they hear about Christians in America who don't vote. They go, are you serious? You have a voice? You could make an impact. You could actually get organized and do something if my people, and you don't do it. Or now Afghanistan has just been uh, called the most dangerous nation in the world for Christians. Since we pulled out, it's gone bonkers. They're going door to door looking for Christian women that they will enslave. Christian men, they'll kill. I don't have a right to vote. You think Afghanistan, they're going, wait a minute, what? You don't vote? Is that called laziness? Is that dumb? Why wouldn't you exercise your right to vote? And so, yes, I vote. And yes, I struggle with people who don't. I don't get it. You have a right. Do it. How about this? When the government tries to get us to silence our gospel message, or to be saltless. Jesus said, if you, if you use your salt, what are you good for? Or to say nothing of things when we know that we know to be morally wrong. 
That's when we protest. That's when we stand up. And, and so I say we, we need more people like Martin Luther King. I happened to be alive at that time. I had to be on the East Coast at the time. And when he would give his speech, I'd have a dream. It was amazing. It was amazing. We need more people like them. How about Rosa Parks or Claudette Colvin? See, most people think, yeah, Rosa Parks, she's the black lady who sat in the front of the bus and refused to get up, go to the back of the bus when some white guy wanted her seat. She did. She wasn't the first. A 15-year-old black girl was the first, uh, Claudette Colvin, who said, I'm not giving up my seat. I'm not less than a human being than you are. This is wrong. I'm protesting. She was arrested. She's a hero. Started a movement where we're going, there is something wrong with this. There, this, this is all men are created equal. It says that in our constitution. It says we're all created equal. We're, we're, we're created in the image of God. A skin color has nothing to do with it. And so now, decades later, everybody's in agreement. Yeah, it was the right thing to do. You're forgetting, man. At the time, it was cuckoo. It was crazy. In Maryland, we had the National Guard line our hallways to, to maintain peace between the whites and blacks in our high school. It was a crazy, crazy time. But we look back now, we go, man, it was the right thing to do. How about Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He was a, a uh, pastor in Germany who was ashamed that he didn't speak up sooner. He just saw them taken away these and said, well, that doesn't bother me, that doesn't affect me. And then soon, sooner or later he goes, wait a minute, this affects us as a nation. And he was outspoken against the Nazi uh, government and ended up in prison and was hung right before World War II ended. We need more Bonhoeffers who just speak up and say, this is wrong. This is wrong. H how about Corrie ten Boom? She's a Dutch girl, along with her family, Realize the Jews are leaving Germany and running for their lives, and she and her family hid them in their home, called the hiding place, and consequently were discovered and went to jail, went to prison, concentration camps, where her sister, I think it was her sister and her parents died, and she was raped and treated brutally. She got to live through it and traveled the world talking about the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We need more people like that. How about high school football coach, I think his name is Joe Kennedy. I saw him speak live once in, in D.C. at a conference. Do you know why he's no longer coaching? Do you know the story? Just a few years ago. He's a coach, the kids loved him. His students just loved him. They'll play for him. He uh, went on the field and uttered a 15-second prayer. Someone says, that's government property. You can't do that. And they kicked him out. He's lost everything. He's still, the case is still before court. You go, how stupid is this? When we open Congress in D.C., what do we do on government property? We open in prayer. And yet, Coach Kennedy opens, he just says a little prayer on a football field and he's lost everything. See, I was, I was asked to open a prayer at our state representative office, whatever. 
And I remember when I prayed, Lord, we know Hawaii State motto is the life of the lands perpetuated in righteousness, and we believe it. We believe the opposite is equally true. The death of the land is guaranteed in unrighteousness. So I pray, give us godly people who give us godly, you know, pass godly laws. And I had, I had senators rep representatives come up to me afterwards and said, I never thought of that. The life of the land, but the death of the land. But the thing is, I prayed. It was on government property. I didn't lose my job. I was invited by the government to do it. And yet, Coach Kennedy, oh, you said a 15-second prayer, and to my knowledge, it's to himself, or by himself, and yet he's lost everything. We need more people like that. Let's protest. Then there was the Christian bakers. There's a number of them being sued because one homosexual couple, lesbian couple, wanted a cake for their wedding. He said, no, I, I'm sorry, that's against the Bible. That's against my, my, my position, and so I can't do that. It would be like condoning what you're doing, even knowing that the Bible says, you don't repent of that, you end up in hell. And so I'm trying to help you understand where, where I stand. Another one wanted to have, order a cake because he had just transgendered. And they go, no, I, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And this is why, and they've lost everything because they're standing up and saying, this is wrong. Do you understand? We're coming to a place as a nation, and I'm not organizing protests or anything like that. We're coming to a place as a nation where Jesus is asking, do you have salt? Do you understand what's right and what's wrong? Do you understand there's times when you're silent, it's wrong. So we need more people like this. Good news is there will be a perfect government when Jesus Christ comes back. And until then, it's going to get worse and worse. Matter of fact, the Bible says there's going to be a man of peace who comes on the scene, very likely to be a homosexual, because it says he, he won't go for the natural affections of man. So maybe he'll be a transgender. Maybe he'll be into the pronouns. Hi, I'm Mike. What's your pronouns? What are you comfortable with? How do I address you? He's going to win over the world. He's coming as a man of peace, gets the world to sign a, peace, a seven-year peace treaty, which turns into the seven-year great tribulation, no peace. Then there'll be a kingdom of Jesus Christ. I believe we're going to miss the Antichrist. I believe we're going to get raptured. We'll be out of here. That's the great news. We'll be having, I'm hoping, a marriage feast, a wedding feast in heaven while this is going on. But we will return with Christ, according to Revelation chapter 19, and he will set up his kingdom. And that's when we'll have peace on earth. I told you this will stir up rebellion. Okay? Remember I asked, hey, which is worse? You, you want to be a rebel or witchcraft? Which is worse? They're both the same. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So here's the problem. I want to end with this thought. Is there any hope for the rebellious heart? Because sooner or later, we're rebellious by nature. All right? Here's the thing. Psalm 78. And I want to read this. 
Psalm 78 is a historical psalm, so it covers a lot of the history of Israel, and it's not good. God is faithful, they're rebellious. God is faithful, they're, it becomes like a broken record. So then, here in, uh, in verse 38, any hope for the rebellious heart? It says, but God, but he being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity. He didn't destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir, stir uh, all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and doesn't come again. So God in his mercy said, you know what? I, uh, I have compassion, even on a rebellious heart. So if you're here and you go, man, I've just been such a rebel. I've, I've broken tons of rules. Not every, maybe not every one you mentioned here, but rebellious by nature. I'd like to get right with God. And this is a verse, I want to close with this. This, this is the one that gets me, Isaiah 42, 3, talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ. He says, a, a bruised reed he will not break off. Now, the reed of those times is like the, the stick with a hot dog on the end that you see in, their, in the water's edge. And a bruised one is broken off, you know, busted off. It's just limp. And he said, it doesn't come up there and go, get out of here, just finish the job. No, he wants to support that bruised reed and make it strong and healthy again. And I love the wording of this one. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. That's mean, that means a candle that's just, you know, the flame is out. There's barely an amber, just a little tiny spark. And he doesn't come up with the snuffer and go, Pfft. doesn't lick his fingers and, and just let's just get it out over with. He says, no, I want to fan that back into life. I want it to be healthy again. And so when he looks at you this morning, from Scripture, we know he looks with eyes of compassion. He's looking for ways to restore, to renew, to rejuvenate, to make you whole again. The job of the Holy Spirit is to make me, to make you more like Jesus Christ, especially in these rebellious times. We covered stuff like the vaccine. We covered stuff, all these other things. You know what we need? Humility. Christ-like humility. We need to understand there's a bigger battle going on. I really believe we're getting prepped for the Antichrist. They see this division and people crying out for peace and safety. There's a bigger issue here, and it's Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's coming back, and I want to hear well done, good and faithful when he comes. If you have a rebellious heart, it's time to surrender. Time to surrender. If you're feeling like you're on your last breath, he is not here to snuff you out, but to make you whole. Let's stand.